Hi, Doctor. Hi, Dad. Once again, I, we have the pleasure of doing this face-to-face, -face, live and in person. Yep. Omaha, Nebraska. That's fun. Fun, fun, fun. And our loyal listeners may uh, have detected uh, better audio quality because we're using new microphones. Yes, actual microphones. Any yeah. microphone at all. <laughs> Other than the ones on our phones. Yeah. So... Uh, if you if you notice that, um, then um, it's it's all for you, loyal listeners. So hopefully it comes across good and and well and better. Uh, so because I've, we've we've heard some criticism. Yes, we have had some criticism. Primarily from your husband. Yeah, but he doesn't ever listen. <laughs> he criticizes everything. Though. He is, I don't think he's listened to one. Well, have you? And no, I don't like to listen to myself. But I I I was here. Live. Yes, so you I don't know. Need to listen you know, to it. I listen to Oz at least five times each, no, each episode. <laughs> no, not really. So, onto the onto the subject of the day. So, we're going to talk about the uh, what's called the neurobiological link to cravings. And Lord knows, I've got a lot of cravings, um, and most of them are not healthy cravings. So, uh, and so I, I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. So, in both. Western and particularly Eastern philosophy, craving has been considered a source of suffering and unhappiness, basically because um, if you give into those cravings, it's not great for your kind of overall, you know, happiness or, or what have you. And if you don't give into those cravings, then it's also not great for your, for your happiness. Right. So it's kind of a conundrum there. Yeah. Usually the craving we think of as something we shouldn't have like you most people are not craving things that are good because then you would just do it like you, you don't crave water unless you're like dehydrated but right. you don't crave it because you can have it as much as you want it i think that's part of I it i don't crave celery right exactly you don't <laughs> but but i do crave red wine right so the things that maybe it's maybe it's more the definition of craving is more of a mental one because you're not going to crave something you know you can have as much as you want to know negative effect. Right. 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 So Although you, you, and, and, but there also is this kind of dose response effect. So if you crave exercise, it's good to a point, but if you're, you know, some fanatical whatever, then yeah. probably not good. If I crave, you know, being productive at work, yeah. then that's okay up, up to a point. Yeah. So it, it, there, it does modulate. But, but I think as we get into the, the, the study um, that they talk about, I think we're going um, to differentiate that piece um, a little bit in, in terms of what they're actually talking about. And what's interesting in this study is they're able to map these brain patterns that um, are associated with uh, cravings. And, you know, potentially, I guess, it could point to a, a diagnostic tool because like for substance use disorder now the diagnostic tool is do you have do you exhibit two of nine of these criteria of substance use disorder and then you know the presumably the more criteria you check off the more severe form of substance use disorder you have but if you could overlay that, so it's a with brain we call pattern. that a clinical diagnosis. So you can diagnose certain things, certain things you can diagnose just based on clinical 
conversa- conversation yeah. and what their history tells you. Um, but other things... Like a broken bone, let's say. Right. You can't diagnose that. Right. Clin- we don't diagnose that clinically. I mean, okay, I guess there's sometimes that you can't. It's bone sticking out of <laughs> someone's skin. Yeah. Um, but in general, um, you can't diagnose vitamin D deficiency without a vitamin D lab that shows you that you're deficient. But It's almost like subjective versus objective yeah. criteria yeah. to some extent. Yep. So, so let's talk about this, uh, about this study. Um, and maybe before we before we jump into that, because they use this uh, this MRI specific MRI called functional MRI fMRI. So let's talk a little bit first about what that is. And since you're the the doctor in this conversation, I think you're better qualified than I. So functional um, the most people know what an MRI is. Um, so it gives us probably the most detailed look at whatever body part you're you're looking at and it's especially helpful for things like joints so like the knee or ankle where there's all or kinds of neck. ligaments I had or, a bunch or the neck, for my yeah. neck yeah. but this it's a ct scan can be pretty good yep. for the neck because of bones but if we're trying to look at nerves ah. ligaments it just depends on like um how much the particular test that you're doing takes up the and can contrast with the stuff around it so MRIs are usually going to be the most detailed um, so especially for brain imaging um, it's going to give you really detailed um, pictures functional MRIs um, are MRIs that are being done while you are doing something and I'm pretty sure they're just used for brain imaging because essentially what it does is it can map um, uptake in the brain or activity in the brain while you're performing some kind of task um so or even thinking about different things right yeah or even or thinking about things or feeling responding to feeling certain things so neurosurgeons will you know have people awake during certain surgeries um and they'll be operating on certain parts of the brain um based on the person's response so if someone has um, a terrible stutter, sometimes, you know, wherever they're operating and have them keep talking and keep talking. Um, so it's kind of similar to that, but you're doing it without having to be inside it's of the brain. not invasive, which is good, yes. So you can do something like, you know, feed them something. You can have them read something. You can have them watch something um, and watch the activation of different parts of the brain. So it kind of gives you a better look at... Um, what parts of the brain are used for what? Right. So they and what's interesting about this? So there's two technologies at, at work in the study. It seems one is the machine, the fMRI, to study that those brain patterns, and the other piece of it is this machine learning algorithm, which is interesting. You know, our last episode was on artificial intelligence, yeah. and um, and this machine learning is kind of uh, a, you know a, a subset so to speak of the of the umbrella under artificial intelligence and it's it speaks to the fact that you know our human kind of brains are have limits yeah that that computers don't necessarily have in some way shapes and forms so 
you know, in some cases, I've seen these these fMRI um, kind of uh, diagrams or illustrations where you can easily see, oh, this part of the brain is lighting up when somebody is chewing on a Snickers bar or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, obviously, for this, I guess the uh, since they use these machine learning algorithms, it um, you know it isn't that simple. You can't just look at a picture and say, oh yeah, this is this is what's happening. So right. They had they fed like reams and reams of, of data in, and they get you know their, their this this finding. So talk a little bit about kind of um, you know the uh, how the study was done, how many people were in it, what what the cohorts were were, and what have you. So they used the data from the functional MRIs. So they did it on ninety nine people. Um, so. It was self-reported assessments of cravings from 99 people um, to train and test the machine learning algorithm. So first you have to get the algorithm down. Yeah. Um, so they did that and then the data was collected um, while the people who were either drug users or non-drug users, so they identified um, a certain group of people who identified as drug users and then those who were not. Um, and the fMRI data was collected and it viewed the images um, of drugs and high, the people viewed the images of drugs and highly pal palatable food. And then the participants would rate how strongly they craved the items they saw. So they were themselves ranking them while the fMRI machine was collecting data on brain activity um, while looking at images of drugs and then highly palatable, palatable food. I'm curious what images they show, <laughs> actually. Yeah, because um, because highly palatable is somewhat subjective. But right, I, that, that, that is true. Some people would get turned on by a pizza, but yeah, and then also, I'm also curious what the images were, for, even for drugs. Um, hypodermic needle or whatever. Yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and the other, so obviously with the study like this, it has certain, I don't know, fundamental, I don't want to say flaws, but limitations. So you get that subjective piece about how strongly they self-reported the cravings. Mm -hmm. And then you've got that uh, somewhat subjectivity of someone has, you know, put together these images that they think will elicit certain. Right. So, but that, those, those issues notwithstanding, it's interesting that they, then, then they feed that in and the algorithm identified a pattern of brain activity that could be used to predict the intensity of the drug and food craving from the fMRI images alone. So they then map, here are the responses from the, the people to these, these images and boom, they get what they are they are calling a neurobiological craving signature, which is interesting because, like we said before, the you know, before this, all you had were the you know if you're diagnosing substance use disorder, all you had were self-reported right. you know feedback on these nine criteria. Now potentially, you've got a more objective kind of signature right. for, it, you know, it doesn't, it, I, I would think that some of, peop, some people 
who had this, um, they call it it's NCS for short, neurobiological craving signature, wouldn't necessarily then qualify as as substance use disorder. But it's interesting to see what the what the correlation would be, and obviously right. this is a small level study, but um, but if that correlation was relatively high, which I, I think it is. Correct. So I'm pretty sure we have we have a lot of data that shows that it doesn't matter if it's a substance addiction versus a food addiction versus a gambling addiction. Um, it's all based on the same... Same neuro, same pathways. Same path. Well, now we're seeing similar pathways, yeah. but also like same neurotransmitters um, being released in the brain and same areas of the brain being activated um, regardless of what the addiction is. Yeah. So that neurobiological that, And that craving, is interesting is what they, what they found was it didn't matter if it was drug Right. Um, you know, images or palatable food images. Right. They both lit up similar Very parts. Very similar. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see if, like, for, you know, gamblers, if they, you know, I don't know. Gamblers who were not drug users. Right. Yeah. Or, would respond similarly yeah. to to images around gambling, whatever, whatever Which those I might be. I suspect they would. Would be the case. Because yeah. we're not, the brain isn't able to differentiate the type of addiction, you know. Um, it It is, I think, from that um, chemical level, that neurotransmitter level, all treated the same. And the other thing that's interesting is the drug users weren't, you know, when, when I first heard about this, I'm thinking, oh, a bunch of opioid um, you know, um, addicted people or whatever, but they tested a bunch of different drugs. So cocaine, alcohol, cigarettes. So, oh, yeah. so both legal and, and and illegal substances. Uh, yeah. And it predicted craving across all of them. So it's not not only not specific to to drugs in general, not specific to a particular drug, um, and um, not specific to either food or drug generally. That's right. kind of what I what I take away from this. Um, but, and maybe we are you already said this, but the marker was able to differentiate drug users from non-drug users based on their responses. But did the non-drug users' brain light up with activity in response to the images in a different way? Right. I, well, it, it, it was different, yeah. for sure, because... But did it, what did it activate um, similar areas just by seeing? Because, I mean, we all are... I haven't met anybody who wouldn't, like, respond in some way to a image of a... Well, I ice, guess everyone's tastes are different. But, yeah, or, or a cake or a piece of pizza. You so, know what I mean? So Yeah, but that's that's a good point, though. Um, so I think the, the point of this would be, yes, there's, there's brain activity. When you see anything or smell anything, there's brain activity. Yeah. But there's a particular signature when, for a, um, a, a person whose brain is wired to crave and therefore, you know, to be um, at prone risk, to addiction. prone to addiction. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, everybody knows people in their lives 
who are more prone to addiction and and oftentimes just our personal experience that addiction um, can you know kind of um, mutate between drugs and food and exercise let's say I think it commonly does yeah um, I think if um, when you have substance use disorder or someone is addicted to a certain illicit drug um, and they are working on recovery and they have in order to be successful in recovery part of it is watching for triggers um, and even if it's a potential positive like exercise um, it kind of is a slippery slope because you get that you know similar addiction feeling from heavy exercise but then when you don't do it to that same degree it causes a similar like negative effect or some people you know it's maybe binge eating or something it's like they're you're swapping one right. thing for another so instead of instead of letting your brain recover um, and letting your brain pathways um, kind of recover maybe even become desensitized to the addiction pathway you're just substituting it for one that is legal and maybe less harmful but these pathways are still being reinforced over and over and over again um, and I bet that that has a lot to do with people who are either successful in recovery or not successful in recovery because I know that there's plenty of data to show like sugar cravings once you once you've gotten rid of you know a good percentage of um, sugar and processed foods from your diet takes a little while you will crave them at first but then those cravings start to go away mm -hmm. and if you keep them out of your regular diet long enough you really don't crave them anymore and if you incorporate more healthy food like it's really sad but like I will crave the protein bar that I have at lunch because right like yeah, I do too <laughs> yeah so yeah. just because like it's part of well, my or, daily routine yeah. and it's and I'm not usually eating you know McDonald's or anything like that so like it becomes just normal so I'm like I enjoy that um, or if you're coming off a fast I remember when I'm coming off a fast you could eat a, anything a piece of wasa cracker yeah. and a, a little bit of peanut butter is like a yeah. you know gourmet meal so that kind of tells you just from your own experience that the pathways can be altered and the brain does I mean the pathways are constantly like changing based on what we're doing throughout our life so when I talk to patients about stuff like it's gonna suck at first to stop doing blank or to cut back on blank um, but then it's gonna become your normal and all that ha that that effect on your behavior is certainly also tied to your brain pathways so if you can stop that then your brain will actually change yep. now if you're someone who has an addiction to an illicit substance and you just swap it for a healthier one but you're still activating that pathway whether it's food so I would take I would say food addiction so that's a, a healthy uh, adaptation I would right think. well yes and no because you probably get the same oh, down gotcha. if you're not able to maintain it or if you just swap it for I shouldn't have said healthier if you swap it for something that's less deadly Right? So right. if you swap a opiate addiction for food, 
Right. You're still activating these, clearly, from the study, you're still activating the same pathway. Pathway. So the brain's never able to, like, kind of... Wipe it clean. Yes. This brings up the, in, in my mind, this, this idea around um, the therapeutic uh, benefits of... Um, hallucinogenic substances, right? Because um, to the, wipe the, it clean, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I love the the analogy is that you know it, it's like a uh, a ski slope which which you know in a normal state has these ruts because you're skiing down the same path yeah. time after time after yep. time, and then you do what's called a heroic dose, let's say, of psychedelic mushrooms. And it wipes it clean, and mm -hmm. it has been shown. Actually, you know, this, the 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 these studies, and they're going on now. Yeah. Um, they were they were stopped for a long time, um, and and you know, unfortunately so. Uh, but they've they they've uh, been shown to be uniquely effective against things like um, or, or to getting people to quit smoking mm -hmm. and uh, quit. Uh, stop their, you know, uh, or arrest their alcoholism, right. or, or what have you. Um, so this this would would you know indicate that um, that there's the, a psychological kind or physiological underpinning For to that. Sure. So it would be interesting to see take this, um, this group of of users who are responding in this way, put them through that heroic dose trip. They come out the other side and then show them those same images. Does the brain light up differently? I'm sure that it, I almost certainly that it would. Yeah. And then because the hard part of treating addiction is that it takes so much time and consistency. It takes being consistently. A lot of people do well in a month of rehab. And in Very controlled environment. six months of a controlled, you know, environment, or even a couple of years where life doesn't throw you speed bumps, um, but then something happens, um, and it just takes so much consistency that is and, and hard work. That yeah. is, that is like quitting smoking is one of the hardest things that those people will do in their entire life. It's harder than yeah. non-smokers well, can imagine. As evidenced by the, the success rates are very Yeah, very it low. is so physically and... Psychologically. Yeah. Psychologically and biochemically addicting. But that now that this is saying hard. you can't differentiate between, you know, physically and psychologically. Psychologically, That's they're true. saying they found the physical... But some things linkage. are way more... There's way more, like, so we know that that nicotine is an addictive substance, that cocaine doesn't Physically have. addictive. Phys right. Yes. Yes. So mentally, yes, addiction is addiction. Yeah. But there are things that are much more physically addicting than right. others. Alcohol is in, the, in that same bucket. You're going to, people die when they go cold turkey off of, off of alcohol because right. of the, the, the body shock. It yep. does bring up the the you know the interesting question. I always love to go back to the evolutionarily evolutionary underpinnings for this sort of thing. So, you know, the fact that we are prone to cravings must have suited us, you know, back, you know, and and, yep. and maybe even pre-human. So back, you know, way back in that evolutionary cycle. And you can kind of logic it out to some extent. If, uh, well, let's say just for humans, if if um, if our forefathers, so to speak, um, did not have a craving for nutrient dense foods, so you know, past that um, honeycomb and and 
know, the, the, the tribe is, is gorging on it and, mm-hmm. and what have you, but, uh, or, you know, ripe fruit or what yeah. have you. But Sam over here says, eh, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really feeling that or whatever. So, <laughs> so, so, so Sam takes a pass on that. And then, you know, uh, a famine hits, they don't have much food for the next, yeah. you know, month or whatever. Sam dies of, of starvation while yep. the folks that gorged themselves survived were stores. able to yep. pass along their genes. Yep. So you can see how that was, was beneficial. And as with most things like our, abil- our, our ability to store fat very easily and not give it up very easily. Mm-hmm. That, that was obviously evolutionarily adaptive at a certain point in our yeah. in, in time. Yep. Very maladapted to our current environment. Yep be very interesting to see what it's like I hesitate to say a thousand years from now because I'm not quite sure the planet <laughs> well the species yeah That's will good. still be here but a hundred years from now as or maybe 500 years from now as there's been more time in the way that we currently live to see how evolution yeah. helps us to adapt to this our current sedentary and food readily available and you know or how about, stressful environment how about this because it that you know kind of mutation adaptation that whole darwinian process takes time i mean i'm not even sure 500 I mean. years or a thousand years does it right. necessarily because we're talking about yeah. stuff that is a million years old or, or or whatever. Not I'm talking predating humans even, but even humans at, at seventy thousand. Um, okay, yeah. So I was whatever. definitely way under. <laughs> Need more, but but consider this with gene editing, right. with CRISPR and whatever. Yeah. We don't have to wait around for this long term process. We can just go in and say, this "That's a maladaptive is gene. I mean, clip to get it. rid of it." And and so where that start? It's already starting yeah. with regard to certain single gene diseases where they can go into to a, a person who's alive obviously mm-hmm. this isn't uh, and, pre and fix the one fix that one gene yes yeah, so like hemophilia and, and cure I, that I feel like is or is hemophilia sickle cell. or sickle cell yeah. because it's this one I'm sure Mutation. it's not one single yeah. well I can't remember yeah some of them are single yeah some of them are um, and it causes such a negative downstream I mean Cystic fibrosis will be one, I'm sure. Okay. Um, but so if you could do it for that, now it's a, a long step because a lot of these things are multi-genetic. For you know, sure. there's like, like a hundred genes that kind of you know. Yep. So so you know, going down that road of oh, we'll turn off these four. Well, we, we turned off those four, but now they created some other issue. <laughs> yeah. You know, the yeah. trial and error that tried try getting that trial approved. Exactly. That's why it's going to take so long. There's yeah. so much that goes into that Although, kind of stuff. Although, now we're going to go full circle back to AI. AI may be able to, you know, give you very accurate predictions on, okay, if you do these what's three going things. To, what's the likelihood that this is yeah. going to happen? And if you had people, the problem is you, you, you if you have people sick enough. Yeah. Oh, then with other options. The, right, the, the, the risks, um, uh, yep. the benefits outweigh the risks. Yeah. So. Yep. Okay. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it's very as, interesting. As usual. Great. Well, once again, great to do this live. We've got to do it more often. We always say that, but yeah, uh, busy, busy lives. So, 
hopefully that was uh, was helpful. I, well, actually, we need to we need to end with some practical advice. So if you're dealing with a food craving, or a drug craving, or a any sort of maladaptive craving. Yeah. Does it help to know that there's a neurobiological underpinning? It's helpful to know that if it, assuming that there is something, I usually say, like, let's not check something to find something negative, potentially negative, that there is nothing you can do about. Nobody. But does this, does this, you know, kind but, of say to people, well, there is nothing I can do about it because my brain no, is just I'm wired saying, in that way. Right, no. But you're saying I don't brains think that's can true. be re- rewired. Absolutely. Well, there's tons point. of data yeah. that shows that yeah. the pathways can change with behavioral changes. But it also is, it's like, it does it it does help to destigmatize to some extent whether you've got a food addiction, addiction or drug addiction. I hate, exactly. I hate this, this that kind of... That it's beha- all... It's, it's a moral failing. Exactly, yes. No. I hope that... I, I think that... Most people who are substance um, use disorder, um, people who have substance use disorder, um, I think that they understand that it's something bigger than them. Um, But if they don't, then yes, that should absolutely help. But it should also help the people around them who are trying to help them. And then it should help the people who are fortunate enough not to have it in their life or have any compassion for it um, or who have biases against it realize that it is a it is such an ingrained problem in the brain um, that is not something as easy as just put the cigarette down put the drug down or put the food down and you know you can envision the possibility I think there's some research going on in this area where you could mimic what's happening let's say in that heroic dose psychedelic trip um, with a little bit more precision because you know you do that you do that um that trip and sometimes you have a bad trip you know that's and that's not great right. and you know um it it is it's kind of a blunt instrument type of thing yep. where if we understood the mechanisms of that you go in they shoot some electrical waves into your brain and and it does that you know fresh snow on yeah. your on your ski slope i'm sure brain. the majority of addicts would welcome that that would be awesome that they would just just reset this well so. who doesn't have kind of a craving that they wish they had less oh, of you know? that's the other thing everybody yeah. probably has several um so i always say like nobody is perfect so someone who is addicted to staying up until 2 a.m watching reality tv show and kind of like eating food yes by themselves is a learned behavioral addiction problem yeah. and it doesn't make that person you know, better just because that's not an illicit drug than the person who got themselves addicted to their pattern of, yeah, Yeah. it's all, so I say it's all the same thing, that addiction to gambling, to food, to drugs, to, it's, it's the same exact regions of the brain. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. More to come Um, on this subject. Yes. And if you, um, are struggling with addiction, we should say, um, there are, there's plenty of places to go for help. Unfortunately, it's not as good as it should be, but usually just send people to help.org because it will at least get you like a few different phone numbers to call uh, or websites to go to to narrow down um, what you need and how to get help. So I'd like to add that in. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Until next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks again for listening. You can visit thedoctorandad.com. That's spelled T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.